welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Buzz Podcast. Thanks very much for joining us today. Uh, my name is Father Daniele, and I'm joined by Josh Sullivan. Hello. Welcome to you, Josh. Thank you. And Matt Van Milligan. Hello. Welcome, Matt. We are like so close to the Christmas season. So close. Yeah. Right? And part of what makes Christmas special is music. You yeah. Know? And I won't subject you to any uh, singing today <laughs> on the podcast, for those of you listening, but uh, I think it's important to talk about music. And we're not going to talk about Christmas music, but we're going to talk about music for liturgy. And I and I think there's lots to say about oh. music with liturgy, because if I may, there are people who, uh, you hear people like, oh, I go to this church because of the music, or I don't go to that church because of the music, yeah. or whatever. And then you have people who say, well, oh, you know, uh, music in the church should only be chanting or should only be used by the organ. And then you have people who use uh, drums and guitars and uh, uh, all sorts of instruments, right? And people have opinions, lots of mm -hmm. opinions on what music should be used in the liturgy. And of course, we're talking about when we say liturgy, we're talking about inside the, the mass or any celebration that's in the church, right? Uh, so today we're going to talk about what does the church say exactly when it comes to music and uh, how does that look like in our parish? What happens if our parish is not doing the right thing when it comes uh, to music? And we're going to answer sort of all those different questions. And thankfully, we have our studio representative, our <laughs> representative of music, our expert, well, thank our you. musical <laughs> expert, Josh Sullivan. Josh, you are a uh, musician in yeah. uh, our parish community, and you've been doing it for how long? 25 years now. 25 years yeah, you've been in doing the church. music for liturgies, for conferences, yeah. for gatherings. Yeah. You know, you're the leader of, of music. Yeah, worship bands and So we have a bit of expert opinion here. <laughs> well, right? some expertise. I mean, I'm going to say ec experience, sure. Right. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. So where do we even start? Like, so if, okay. if someone was to say, what music should we be playing at Mass? What music should we be playing during a liturgical, liturgical celebration? Where do we even look Go for yeah. that? And can I, can I add yeah. something to yeah. the question, too? Because, like, you encounter all of the, like, a lot of people have some really strong opinions about music and what should be, yeah. you know, what is the right way. And a lot of times it's really hard to sift out, you know, what is this person's opinion? And what is the actual proper, like, pr the teaching of the church that's coming through the church's documents? So, like, how do you kind of navigate, first of all, that problem between, like, you know, this is proper because I prefer it, yeah. as opposed to, like, no, what are the actual guidelines laid down by the church? And, yeah, what's, what's uh, kind of... Where's their freedom? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, do, how does a musician move in that space? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good point. One of the first things you got to point out is music in general. And I think one of the things that we have to realize is when we're doing worship, when we're, when we're leading people in worship specifically, worship itself is taking... Um, is 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 our spiritual self, I guess, is is worshiping and sacrificing to God and, and speaking to God a lot of times, and we see it on that level. But when we're bringing music into it, it's it's bringing that spiritual realm where we're praying, but it's also our physical, uh, our physical self. So we're hearing the music. A lot of times, music makes us feel things: sad, happy, yeah. want to move sometimes, and dancing and those kind of things. And so, music encompasses, especially when we bring it to liturgy. You can see it actually in all sorts of different religions across the entire world. Every different culture has their own type. type of music, style of style music, music yeah. whatever else. And the reason for that is because it moves us. It moves us in both a physical, but also a spiritual way. And that's why you see, I don't think there is a religion out there, uh, like any kind of denomination, that doesn't have a musical component to it. Mm -hmm. And so we use music as that way of like kind of bridging the, the 
physical body and the soul kind of together to bring it to, and, and we lead that into worship. And so that's why in the mass, music plays such an important role. And that's also why I think a lot of people have very strong opinions when it comes to music, because sometimes this form of music or that form of music is what moves them and moves their heart. Mm -hmm. And that must be the only way to do music, whereas in it's not necessarily the case across the board. So the church being the good, the universal Catholic church has some very specific guidelines that it leads to. And even popes over the ages have spoken very specifically to music and what was allowed and what's not allowed. But then other uh, um, encyclicals or other teachings have come out from the church that have either trumped those or, or corrected specifically the idea of thinking. For instance, there's one time where chanting was the only thing allowed. Um, and then the, the, there's other parts that have come up. Well, chanting is, a, is preferred, but then organ music accompanies the chanting because we realize that not everybody can chant. Not everybody can sing. And so when you have a, a group of a bunch of people that don't know how to sing on key, the organ helps them keep them in key. So, and then, and then eventually gets to the point of now after Second Vatican Council, and we'll talk about all this in this episode, but um, is this is the preferred method and here's what's allowed after the fact. And so the idea being that music in general is about worshiping. And so music shouldn't be distracting. It shouldn't be pulling people away from their focus. That's why a lot of times a choir choir is not only at the back, but it's at the back and up above everybody. So they can hear the music, but they can't see the musicians. It's not a distraction. Now, sometimes you have them in Catholic churches up to the side on the one side or the other, and that's not a bad thing, but it's important to realize musicians aren't there to be a performance. It's about leading other people, pushing other people into worship. And so when we go from there, there are a couple different documents. Um, there's the one that came out uh, specifically... Well, let, uh, the one that came out specifically from Vatican Council, and I believe you have it there, Father. Yeah. Uh, uh, sang a sacrosanctum yeah. concilium. That's the one. Um, but I, I was actually interested because some people will point to some of those earlier documents that yeah. you're kind of uh, referencing uh, in passing to say, um, and like that those still hold up. That it's like there are really, really severe restrictions on what kind of instruments can be played at yeah. mass, how how music is to be done. Um, so. Um, do, do you have a, uh, just like yeah. a couple examples of that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I have, I, I have those. So like if you have, uh, here, I got it here, right here. There's a document by Pope Benedict XIV. Yes. It's called Annus Qui Hunk. Yeah. It's the, uh, on the upkeep and cleanliness of churches. <laughs> and what does he say so, okay, basically it, in this it's, document? It, and we have, it's important to realize this is from 1749. Okay. Yes, yes. And so it says it tolerates only organ, stringed instruments, and bassoons. Yeah. <laughs> Kettle drums, horns, trombones, oboes, flutes, pianos, and mandolins are prohibited. And so, like, how many times now do we have pianos in the church? Like, yeah. that's a regular thing, or you know. And so, um, later on, Gregory the Sixteenth, uh, they uh, uh, was cardinal vicar of Rome, and they prohibited the use of instruments in the Roman churches, except with the few that become matter uh, in accompanying the singing. That was in 1842. Yeah. So this is like, this is old school and it kind of slowly went yeah. up. But then now we have the Vatican Council, Second Vatican Council, yeah. which kind of trumps and specifically puts in place exactly what it is. And now they leave it so here's the problem. These guys have said, like, these are the instruments you're allowed to use, yeah. and these are the instruments you're not allowed to use. The Vatican Council has not named the instruments, but have suggested that they need to be in a place of worship. And I believe there's exact... Yeah. Um, they need the, to be fitting fitting of the the dignity of, of, the, of the liturgy itself. And of the temple. And need to be approved by the competent... Authority, yes, yeah, um, and, and so uh, uh, the yeah. reason the reason I wanted you to go in, uh, into the kind of specifics there because some people will point to this. Some people will say, you know, this this was laid down. This this is in the form of a papal encyclical, which carries you know a, a certain yeah. a certain degree of authority to say that well we should we shouldn't have 
any, any of these instruments in church now because you know this this you know forms the deposit of faith. This is something. Um, and we talked long ago about kind of different levels of authority. Um, that when we're referencing something like Sacrosanctum Concilium, this is this is a dogmatic constitution of the church. This is a document that carries the highest authoritative weight. Um, so if there is any, um, um, you know, uh, difference in prescriptions or yeah. difference in kind of what's permitted, um, you know, s- some of that may have been contextual. It may have been reacting to a Specific. A, a trend in you know yeah. Protestantism that you know the church yeah. wants to distance itself from. Um, not all of the kind of proclamations that are contained within encyclical letters, you know, carry that doctrinal stamp of, yeah. of authority, you know, in perpetuity. So um, I think it's important, you know, when we have these discussions, when we're looking at the documents, again, when we're trying to sift out, you know, this is proper because it's what I prefer, and, you know, what does the church actually teach? Um, I think it's important, important to, to kind of source. distinguish between the authority of, of these documents because, uh, again, you, you'll see a lot, of, a lot of churches, you know, properly using pianos to, yeah. um, to aid, aid in, in the worship. singing and aid in worship. Yeah. And if I may just... Uh, the practice of like chanting came because you know people were chanting sort of the psalms. Yeah. Uh, I know polyphony is something mm-hmm. that Pope Benedict the Fourteenth wrote in, in 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 that document. These were things that accompanied you know the liturgy of the hours. You know people yeah. were mm-hmm. getting together to pray, so they were they were beginning to chant or use this different vocal range to to share and to pray. It was it was to pray, and like you said, instruments started being introduced. Sorry, sort of to accompany that a yes. little bit. Then slowly, like everything happens, it starts to become like the norm. But the point is well taken that anything that's used, really, that's what uh, the Constitution of the Sacred Liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium says, is to uh, is, is to maintain the dignity mm-hmm. of what we're doing. Yeah. Right? So, And that's, I think, where people sort of blend all these yeah. instruments in, you know, because you see people kind of use like funky instruments and use like, uh, yeah. you know, there's like, uh, well, I think, I think like, yeah, what you're saying is, and it's, it, they use, they use, yeah, you can use funky instruments. Now I think there are a lot of instruments you can be used in a proper way and you can use instruments in a wrong way. Just like when you're singing, mm-hmm. you can sing and lead people in worship or you can sing to perform. A lot of yes. times in our, yeah. in our Protestant brothers and sisters, they don't have the mass or the Eucharist or a focal point that way. And so a lot of times the music is a focal point. Yeah. And so you have the the fog, the light show, the, all that stuff, and you have them standing on stage. And I have been to some Protestant churches where the music is done amazing, and they are leading people in worship. Their hearts are really in it when they're singing, and you can totally tell, and you can totally enter into their songs of worship. It's amazing. But other times I've been at other praise and worship services where those people are there to perform. And there is a major difference. Mm-hmm. Um, they're acting on stage. They're, they're, they're trying to rive up the crowd, but they're doing it in a way of, like, like almost worship me, not not necessarily worship me, but yeah. like you're here to listen to my music. I'm performing for you versus leading people to the worship. Yeah. So if the whole focus of music is to deepen our sense of prayer, then everything that we, all the decisions made around that has to accompany that. So that's why singing, I think, chanting was a main thing. You didn't have, like not everybody knows how to play an instrument. That's right. You know what I mean? So so you it, it can't be like we can't do mass. We can't yeah. do We can't do mass without having a musician present because that's not important mm-hmm. it's about we can sing we can chant and so the most important part is let's chant these important parts um, so we have mass the most important prayer and then we'll use chanting to back up that up and if chanting isn't going well and we have a musician available then let's use that musician to help back up the singers and then we kind of slowly add the instruments into that again leading keeping the focus being on the sacred um ritual that's happening in front of us, the, the awesome prayer, the ultimate prayer that's happening in front of us. So I, I want people, 
who are listening to keep in mind, just if you're listening right now, think about the music situation in your own parish <laughs> right now, because we're talking about the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, the Sacrosanctum Concilium that came uh, out from Vatican II. I'm going to read what it says. Yeah, yeah. sure. Okay? Yeah. It's just so we're clear what it says. So I want people in their head to think, think about, about what's the music situation in my parish right now, and, and keep this in mind, because this is what Vatican II actually taught about music, okay? It says, sacred music is to be considered the more holy in proportion as it is more closely connected with the liturgical action. It should add delight to prayer, foster unity, confer greater solemnity on the sacred rites, okay? It says, the treasure of sacred music is to be preserved and fostered with great care, Choirs must be diligently promoted, especially in cathedral churches. And whenever the sacred action is to be celebrated with song, the whole body of the faithful may be able to contribute that active participation, which is rightly theirs. Right? Mm-hmm. So there goes to you saying about performances. Yeah. Right? Performances are not is not with the spirit of what the uh, the uh, <laughs> Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy has says about music. Now, it says this. The church acknowledges... This is chapter 6, by the way, of okay. the Sacrosanctum Concilium, for those of you who want to follow along at home. The church acknowledges Gregorian chant as specially suited mm-hmm. to the Roman liturgy. It should be given pr- a pride of place in liturgical services. But other kinds of sacred music, especially polyphony, we talked about polyphony, Mm -hmm. are by no means excluded from liturgical celebrations so long as they accord with the spirit of the liturgical action. And then here it comes for instruments, okay? In the Latin church, the pipe organ is to be held in high esteem, Mm -hmm. for it is the traditional musical instrument which adds wonderful splendor to the church's ceremonies and powerfully (laughs) lifts up man's mind to God and to higher things. But other instruments may also be admitted for use in divine worship with the knowledge and consent of the competent authority. Mm -hmm. This may be done, however, only on condition that the instruments are suitable or can be made suitable for sacred use accord with the dignity of the temple and the edification of of the faithful. So I, I'm going to touch to a couple of those things because that's that's beautiful. That's exactly... I hope people were <laughs> listening to of that. their yeah. own experience yeah. in their parish. And, and this finally gives me a reason for why I wasn't allowed to play my slide whistle during... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they, I mean, it talks about specifically the instruments. Now, one of the things, and I, I, heard, I heard a lot of discussion because I play guitar. I play a stringed instrument in church. And a lot of times I've heard this, this I mean, one of the... Um, defenses like, well, there's chanting an organ. That's the only thing allowed, or piano potentially. But like those are the only things allowed. But stringed instruments goes back to before the time of the mass, yeah. even before the time. Like uh, King David, they played the harp and the and the, so stringed instruments the were there. Lyre. Yeah, the yeah. ten string lyre, the harps, the cymbals. Those are things that were around for musical instruments at that time, and so that was ways of worshiping God. And those weren't taken out just be, you know, yeah. um, they're they're still important. But it was it has to be done right. Cymbals being a perfect example of when, like if you have somebody playing the drums, there is a way in in a, I'm going to say in a worship service, and it's it's hardly ever done, and I'm not going to say that every church should have a drum kit, because that's not true. But I have heard drummers be able to add drums to the point where no one, you don't understand that there's drums in the music until you've actually picked it out. Meaning, it's not a 
central piece, a focus point. It's just you're getting all of a sudden this beat, and you're you're enjoying the music, you're praising, you're able to enter in because you're feeling the beat and everything else. And then like then you go, oh hey, there's drums in this. You know what I mean? That's how drums should be played if if ever played in yeah. the mass. Is something like something that that keeps a beat like that. Is it's not, and I've seen it before where a drum kit was played at a mass one time with. You know, yeah. like just cymbals galore, and then the boom, 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 and like solos and stuff. And I'm going, whoa, 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 this is about being a focal point. This is about look at me. I'm playing the drums versus that's right. And, you know, and like what what it's saying is, is it contributing to the sacredness yeah. exactly of what we're doing? Like it should be highlight. It should be contributing to the sacredness of what, yeah. of what we're celebrating yeah. in, the, in the liturgy. Yeah. Right. So and if if a if a drum kit is being so obnoxious and yeah. so distracting, yeah. then it's not fulfilling the purpose of what it's of what sacred of sacred music. Now, you know, when I was ordained a priest, yeah. the beautiful choir was put yeah. together for my ordination uh, and you know, there were they brought in musicians from all over the place yeah. and uh, there were there was organ and there was uh, cymbals and yeah. there was uh, I don't know instruments I probably never heard of but uh, you know, all together made a stunning, like maybe, like picture, like kind of a cathedral yeah. style. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Powerful, powerful, but, but also, like, whoa. And there was a bit of a drum in there yeah, or yeah, whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Like this, like you said, you kind of say like, oh, there's there's the there's the drum in there. Yeah. But, you know, I've also been to celebrations of the Eucharist <laughs> where it's like... A oh, there's a drum. Yeah, yeah. And there's, <laughs> there's a drum. Yeah. You know, and that's that's not sort of the idea here. Interesting, what is your take on Gregorian chant? Because it's it's specially suited to the Roman liturgy. I love That's it. something that I think has been sort of just tossed out. And one of, one of the ones, when it talks about selecting music, I think, yeah. and uh, so there's, there's a couple documents. We're talking about, first of all, uh, the one that we're talking about from Vatican Council. We also have the Roman Missal. I mean, that gives us the guidelines in Canada of what we can follow, but yeah. also use your own in whatever uh, country you're in, because that will give you specifically how Mass is to be celebrated. And the highest authorities are those two documents right there. We in Canada also have uh, the CCCB, so the, Ca- the Conference... Uh, Canadian Conference of Catholic, Catholic Bishops. Bishops. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, they they released a document, a PDF that basically sums up the Roman Missal, uh, and and. Sh- for music, as well as composing music. So those are two other documents that in Canada we can kind of turn to to give us a little bit more information of how maybe we want to look at this or how we can read into it. And um, in that PDF, it specifically states from the Conference of Bishops 165 about selecting music. And it kind of goes into um, how music is to be selected and what's the purpose behind the music that you're selecting and, 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 and all that. So I don't know if you have it there, Father. I do. Okay. Yeah, 165? Yeah. It says, music is to be chosen to foster the sung prayer of the assembly gathered for liturgy. It should always be of noble quality. Melodies, which are trite or so complex that they can only be sung with great difficulty by the assembly, do not serve the church's mm-hmm. prayer. Is yeah. that... Uh, That's kind of what... Yeah. So so the... the um, Gregorian chant is great. And one of the things where I see Gregorian chant really being used, I love when we can use Gregorian chant, but if nobody knows Gregorian chant, it almost has to be taught. And if it's taught properly, it's pretty easy to pick up. In fact, there's only like five or six melodies that you would sing in a normal mass setting, let's say. Um, and, And if you know the words, the antiphons that come out for the mass... All those words that can be chanted and sung in that era. It's it's great, and so that's the preferred way of doing it is mm-hmm. in a Gregorian chant style. Um, and there's very specific musical pieces that kind of accompany that. And remember that what, like sort of chant 
is repetitive. Yeah. Right? So it's designed in a way where people sort of pick up the <laughs> pick up the tone or yeah, the riff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on this document, so we're talking about the guidelines for liturgical music from the CCCB, but yeah. also on uh, that thing that you're talking yeah. about there. I love what it says about the use of Latin, which will probably mm-hmm. win you some points today for the yeah. people you lost when you said you prefer drums. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. I didn't say I prefer them, but I, I, know, I know that they're kidding. there. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, but here it says... What, uh, you what got 169. Yeah, it says, it is important to select music which is valued part of the repertoire of the universal church. For this reason, familiar chant settings of hymns and at least one setting of the ritual music for mass in Latin ought to be part of the repertoire Mm -hmm. of any liturgical assembly. Again, so music is about leading people to to the prayer, the fullness of the prayer. And one of those things that we're the universal church, the universal Catholic church. And so you can go to anywhere in the world and celebrate a mass, whether it be in your language or not. Mm -hmm. And so one of the important parts that I think it's stating right here is that every single Catholic should be familiar with the Latin style of singing the parts of the mass, the Latin Latin settings. And so um, it's important that every single church, every single diocese, every single uh, mass um, should figure out how they're going to make their church community, their parish community, familiar with the Latin uh, hymn, Latin rite hymns. Specifically, so for us, the way that we did it is it, to change it up for Advent and and for uh, for Lent, specifically Lent, but then for Advent we introduced this year, is to start singing the Latin settings for the mass for the mass during. During Lent and Advent specifically, and it goes into some more because we talked a little bit about before. But there's some other direction there about maybe using lesser instruments, using less instruments, and so that's a way of using less instruments during the Mass during Advent specifically, but specifically during Lent. And so there's other guidelines and 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 direction there that contain to that and pertain to that. Sorry, and that that idea being so we can kind of use this opportunity. Yeah, during here's Lent. the opportunity to do that. To do that, and and it was funny because. Like that is the teaching in Canada, yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of people in Canada will say, like, oh, uh, Latin. Like, That's for a- example, when our parish introduced Latin, yeah, for <laughs> our first Lent, like a couple years ago, we started using the Latin parts. People would say, oh, you know, That's the old what style. Are you, yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. are you doing, Father? You're trying to bring us back to pre-Vatican II. And yeah. it was like, no, this is a, this is a this is a yeah. fallout of Vatican II. This is actually that something we're supposed to, to do. sort of retain this yeah. tradition. Yeah, and we we talked about it a little bit during our our, our episode on on the Latin Mass and on mm-hmm. um, that you know not only is um, Latin acceptable and and permissible, it's it's a way of identifying with the traditional church. You That's know, right. To say say the parts of the Mass um, in a way that connects you know to to previous generations and connects to um, the other parts uh, of the world um, and. Like, more than that, when I was becoming Catholic, you know, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about, like, you know, the good, the true, and the beautiful. All of these are kind of important aspects for our engagement with, you know, the the church, the, the historical church, but also kind of um, uh, the Mass itself. Something that I was really drawn to was the beauty of the liturgy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, while I was going through RCIA, while I was kind of um, interested in the church, I was going to a cathedral that was, you know, really, really embodying something like... Um, 
uh, Benedict the Sixteenth's uh, spirit of the liturgy that it was like it really took seriously, um, you know, um, proper antiphons, um, you know, um, using Latin and and vernacular interchangeably, and you yeah. know, the entire church community was familiar. Um, with and, and you could sing. They had a choir, um, you know, a pipe organ that you know you could find <laughs> find your vocal range and you know actually you know participate in in kind of uh, a harmonious way. Um, I also you know encountered other masses, other churches you know during that time period where you know the people um, leading worship or the people who were you know were performing the mass. You know, I, I jokingly said earlier, it sounded like a Bruce Spring print. Bruce Springsteen cover band. Yeah, um, that it's like it's yeah. kind of the polar opposite. That right. you you can have, um, you know, ver- versions of this that are really really accountable to the tradition, mm-hmm. uh, accountable to like, um, you know, this this is the song of the church yeah. from the beginning, and this should be carried f- forward, um, you know, in continuity, in communion uh, with the saints and with kind of the ancient traditions of the church. Yeah, yeah and uh, on on that. Point. So that that comes from the general instruction of the Roman Missal, which is sort of the uh, the uh, you should you should have the Roman Missal with you, and you should have the general instruction of the Roman Missal with you, <laughs> yeah, and true. and and that's why we use the opportunity during Lent, especially, but now we're doing it during Advent because it does do what you're saying. It for for me, the church is so the traditions Rich. of the church are so large, yeah. and to expose people to those traditions, yeah. you know, like. A little bit of a little bit of of everything for everyone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and that's why it's so beautiful. You you get to hear little bits like even I know in Canada we pray the apostle we recite the Apostles Creed. You know, so this season of Advent we've changed the Nicene Creed yeah. just so people get to learn a little bit yeah. about it. So that's why in Lent it says playing the organ and musical instruments is only allowed to support singing, like yeah. you said, just to keep us on track. It's not supposed to be played. So that's why we cho- took that opportunity to, to use a little bit of Latin chants, right? Yeah. Advent, it says the use of the organ and musical instruments should be marked by moderation, mm-hmm. suited to the character of this time of year without expressing in anticipation the full joy of the nativity of the Lord. The idea Which here, makes sense. Yeah, it make, the idea here is that Advent is a time of waiting. And so it's a period of... So, like, again, music is that physical part of getting it. Like, have you ever been in a song and you're just like, oh, I want like I want them to go loud here. I want them yeah. to do whatever the case may be. Or I, I really want the um, exciting part to happen or whatever the case may be. Um, that's kind of what <laughs> we are doing in Advent, right? Is, is, that, is, that, is that it shouldn't be the full joyous celebration that should be leaving you wanting and waiting for it to be done at Christmas. And so it's that kind of giving you that same feeling through the music. And I think there's an important part that you kind of mentioned there too, was to, which is about selecting music. Um, I think that's important. So when you're selecting music, there's a couple of different things. There's, there's a reason to select uh, en- uh, entrance hymns. And the entrance hymns are supposed to be welcoming people together, but also that everyone, and we mentioned this before, but everyone should be able to sing it. It's not, it's not about a solo piece. This is not a, everyone should be able to sing it. And so for me, if music people are listening, when I introduce a new song at Mass, I normally, if it's a faster song, I sing it at the end, at the recessional, because the recessional doesn't even actually have to happen. Um, it could be an organ piece, as they say, or whatever else, except probably during Advent and Lent, where there isn't supposed to be just organ without singing. Um, and so the idea being that like, I sing the new songs, the faster, upbeat songs that we might play at Mass. I play them at the end of Mass a couple of times, two or three weeks in a row, before I introduce it. 
into uh, the opening hymn of some sorts. And the idea being that everybody knows the song then because they've heard it once or twice before and then they can go in. But it, more than just selecting the mass, the mass, I mean, you, you have the proper tempo, so it's supposed to be an upper beat kind of when you process in. Um, it's supposed to be selecting there. And those are, if you're looking at the um, CCCB guidelines, there's 46, 47, 48 about the entrance hymn. Um, but, but specifically there, um, you have... You have a time of the year that you're, you're also um, picking out music for, and so as a, as a music um, choir director, music guy in the church, one of the things that I do is I read the readings ahead of time, and so I read all the yeah. I, I get the theme of the mass ahead of time. I pray about the readings. I read about the readings. I read the psalm. I read second reading. I read the the gospel. I pray about it. I try to determine what is the ongoing theme here, maybe. And with a little bit of prayer and then discernment, um, I pick songs that reflect that theme. And the song should always, again, be leading people closer. So in the entrance hymn, it should be about gathering and praising God. It's all about praise. In the offertory hymn, it's about offering yourself up. And so the the songs and the words, the idea, the theme behind it is offering. Um, and so and they can be sung whether you have a, a procession of the gifts or not. It can also be done that the offertory hymn doesn't actually have to be sung. It can also be done um, a, a, a little bit of quiet picking or, or, or a small instrumental, as long as it's not, again, distracting from the Mass. Um, but that can be done just, again, to keep people in that mood of offertory. And I've heard it even done, I mean, this is not necessarily in there, but I've heard it done from the time of, to keep the whole offertory part in, in the same cohesive moment, if you will, from the time of offering up our prayers of petition uh, all the way through to when the gifts are finally offered. And so that's kind of a, a like just a, a low under theme. And then communion time is about, again, turning our praise back to God, that we need God, our, our, our adoration of God is in communion. Um, and it should start from when the priest receives the Eucharist. So from the priest receives the Eucharist, the music should start because he is in that communion with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the way till the very end of when the last person has received maybe a little bit past that as people kind of get back to their seats and are able to enter in. Um, but the prayer should, again, enter people in with communion. So communion is another one of those times that everyone should know the words of the song. It shouldn't just be one necessarily soloist singing the song. It can be if the if the uh, mood is right. And I believe, again, the preference is that everybody enter in and is able to sing. Um, and then... Um, so for that reason, the same thing. I offer up the slower songs, the songs of more adoration stuff I might offer up at offertory sometimes to help people understand, get to know the song a little bit. Or I might sing the verses only that have to do with the offertory part during offertory. And then when I introduce them into communion, once they know the song, I can sing the fullness of the song, which might be the adoration part and everything else. Um, and so being very careful with the selecting of the music. Now, the other thing that people always bring up, can you sing a non-Catholic song during Mass. That's very vague. Um, that's, that's, yeah. that's so vague. And, and uh, I think I'm going to say yes, but there's reasons. There, you have to listen to the guideline points here. There are songs written by non-Catholic individuals that still bring about the fullness of the Mass, about the fullness of adoration of our, where our hearts are at and everything else at those parts. Those songs, as long as they pertain to what is going on during the Mass, can be sung during the Mass with the approval of the proper authorities yes. in the yeah. diocese. And that's the important part there. And so there are, there are lists of songs that are approved by the um, CCCB in Canada with the Catholic Authority of the Bishops, but then there are other songs there. Um, there should be in each um, diocese uh, specifically, a um, a diocesan for a, a diocesan um, 
Music committee. Music committee. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's I don't know what to call it, but where where you could send your request, can I play this song at mass and stuff? Not every diocese has this, and this is where right. I would you know you would refer back to either the the authority of the bishop and ask the bishop potentially, or even if the bishop gives that authority to the priest, then go to your priest and say, is this song proper? Again, priest. Now the onus is on you to make sure that the proper words are being sung. The like f- here's a here's a perfect example. Um, Mary, did you know? It's a famous song, yeah. uh, sung at Christmas time all the time. One of the problems with that song is in the in the Catholic version, uh, not the Catholic version, in the in the version of the song is this child that you delivered would soon deliver you. And and that has some um, theological problems with it, it in Catholic Church. It conflicts with the Immaculate Conception. Yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. inflects with the Catholic... Yeah, exactly. And so, can that song be sung at Mass? Well, there are ways of being able to sing songs, but I mean, I would, I would suggest you can't sing a song that is actually heretical. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've heard that song done at a Catholic Mass one time that said, like, this child that you delivered would soon deliver too. Okay. Um, you know what I mean? Like yeah. to get to that works in the song. It still matches and everything else. And nobody else knows the words of the song, so it all. Okay. But yeah. the idea being like you can't sing um, Leonard Cohen's Alleluia yeah. uh, during Mass just because it has the words Alleluia in it. There's yeah. there's like it it doesn't fit. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you you can't. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You you introduce a couple things there because like um you know you want to say like you don't want to even if it's like a non-Catholic you know worship leader or a worship yeah. song or you know popular um um you know praise song that 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 people know or hear on the radio or mm-hmm. or something like that um that it's like in some of these cases like there's not only is there no conflict with yeah. you know the the, the precise <laughs> Catholic theology, but some of it is is you know uh, really reflects it really really well, um, and even like again you, you want that approval from your pastor, even even the bishop if they're if they're that involved, but you also have you know um, in the approved hymnal of things like um, you know um, some hymns that you know bishops have commented on you know. This isn't maybe as theologically substantial as as we would like, or you know. Um, yeah. So you know, you can you can kind of critique from both ends, um, but you, you you kind of raise an interesting point that like s- some people don't necessarily know. Because and circling back to our initial question about you know, how much how much flexibility does a worship leader actually have? You know, the examples that you gave are with hymns, mm-hmm. with certain you know uh, parts, um, but you know uh, you can't you can't replace the Gloria. With no. with something else, like you can't yes. you can't replace mass settings. Yeah, you no, can't. no, those those <laughs> yeah. are in there. Yeah, and 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 that and that's that's a really important distinction because you know you have um, again coming from a Protestant background, yeah. you don't have that hard division between kind of liturgy and and music that um, that you know there there can be a tendency to be like okay well there's this praise praise and worship song that sounds you know something like um, even, yeah the, even the psalm the psalm yeah. is one of those important parts where I've heard and I've been instructed by even authorities in the church oh just sing a nice song there and that no that's that like the yeah. psalm is the psalm there are times where you can use a different psalm a psalm that is uh, reflective of the season so there are seasonal psalms that you can sing at time mm-hmm. of Advent let's say where you don't have to sing that specific Sunday you have to sing these words on that specific Sunday, you could sing a seasonal psalm. And, but those are, again, all approved by, by the bishops uh, in, in the church and everything else. It's not just some nice song. Yeah. It's, it's a psalm, and there's a reason why we're singing a psalm in that place. You know what I mean? And so it has to be, and it's supposed to be um, response. There's the, like, the people are supposed to sing the response back to you. And so it has to be, like when you're selecting music, one of the other things you have to think of, the, when you're singing music, it has to be in a range that everybody can sing in. 
It, it can't be like you have a really good uh, soprano that you know can sing at the very highest pitch and, and no one else can sing with them. No, that it has to be that everybody can enter in and sing. It also has to be um, words that people can understand and sing. And that's why where the Latin, you'd have to teach it to mm-hmm. be able to introduce it, which is, again, it's, it's fine. And as long as you give a repetition to it, it will eventually enter in there. And then when you go, when you go into that. But the last authority when you're selecting music always comes down to it's not the choir director. Like, I don't have the final say when mm-hmm. what goes on in my church. It's always the priest, and above him would be the deacon, uh, sorry, the the, um, the diocese music committee, yeah. specifically under the authority of the bishop. And so the bishop has the authority. He would designate that to his music committee, and that music committee would then be able to tell a priest as well as the music uh, coordinator what they're allowed to sing, what they're not allowed to sing. So if, even if this mass part is approved in other places, but the bishop says, no, I'm not allowed to sing it in that diocese, you know? Yes, and so if we can uh, just summarize here, if people are thinking about their own musical situation in their own parish, yeah. you know, is the music that uh, we are uh, singing at Mass, is it contributing to what we're celebrating in the Eucharist? Is it drawing us closer to Jesus in the Eucharist? Um, is it more of a performance? Are the selections not really uh, moving us yeah. to draw into the liturgy, right? Uh, can we join in? Can we join in? Are we? Do we have variety? And the variety, I mean, let me clarify. Like, are we still using some Latin? Are we still using some Gregorian chant? Or are, have we abandoned completely what the church has prescribed mm-hmm. for music? You know, are, are our instruments appropriate? Those are all things that are set out by the documents. If people want to read them, there's Sacrosanctum Concilium, that's chapter 6, the General Instruction of the Roman Missal is a good resource for music. And then if you're in Canada, the CCCB Guidelines for Liturgical Music is a good resource. I'm sure the USCCCB and um, the other national conferences have their own guidelines for music as well. Yeah. So maybe people can share either beautiful things you're doing in your parish uh, for music with us or nightmarish things that are happening <laughs> in your parish uh, music-wise. You can leave them in our social media uh, on our Facebook, Instagram pages. You can drop us a line and ask us at the Catholic Buzz. Dot com. So that's all the time we got today. So for Josh Sullivan, our musical expert, <laughs> and Matt Van Milligan, my name is Father Daniele. We'll see you next time on The Catholic Buzz. 